Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. I have already said, and I'll begin this way, that we all function according to what or how we are able to behold God. And our opinions about revelation are not exclusive to assume that because God has revealed to us great things, we have walked various places in the spirit and experienced quite great things. Therefore, it means that there is an exclusivity to our calling as to assume that with what we have been given, no man can either match up or that God is done with what a man is able to do. In fact, I go back to how Paul says it. Remember, he was given the grace to lay the foundation of the gospel. But he still has a humility in his stock. He uses words like that you might know my knowledge in the mystery. When he says that you might know my knowledge in the mystery, it means that this is only in the way that I'm able to reveal God. That's Ephesians 3, 4, whereby when ye read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. When Paul says, this is my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, he's saying, this is as far as I have walked with or in God. Right there, silently, but deliberately, Paul is saying that there is or will be another person who also has a certain understanding in the very mystery of Christ. Look at the Gospels. When Matthew is writing, he writes about Jesus from the perspective he's able to see Jesus. When Mark is writing, he writes from a perspective from which he's able to see Jesus. The same it is with John and Luke. Luke, the only Gentile writer. And why I find myself so much connected to the gospel of Luke is because I see Christ from a Gentile perspective. Because I'm a Gentile, you see? By natural blood, really. Not by faith. Faith, we're Israel. We're all Israel. All of us who believe, the Bible says, are grafted in. You see that? But there's something about culture, norm, belief systems, and structures that sort of define how we behold God. How we see God. So every man or any man is able to reveal or preach the God that you know best entirely on how you see him. You see that? And... When I was preaching recently, I shared about three people that have really blessed my heart over the years. And each one, Abraham teaching me faith, Paul teaching me the power of revelation, and uh, David teaching me about the anointing, how to walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I emphasize quite a lot concerning how a man should learn to be a lover of the presence. But there's something about how also, and I want to emphasize this today, there's something about how... David was able to view God in the word. I have seen a deception under the sun, quite a many in the church of Jesus Christ, where the devil has only convinced Christians in the way of the word to only think from the perspective, one either of survival, for them to know that if I need to survive, then I need the word, or simply to receive answers for their life questions that are in all way and manner very limited to where they are in life, not where God is in purpose. You see, there's a difference between where you are as an individual in life and where God is in purpose. It is possible for a man to be attuned in time with God's purposes And that is aligned to where you are in God. It's possible for God's purposes to be so far from a man, even though that man is a lover of God. It is possible for a man to live in this world thinking that he is in the perfect will of God, yet is actually so behind schedule concerning the things of God. 
You see that? Not all of us are on the same level of relationship. And that's why I raise love when the disciples come to Jesus Christ and say, we found a man casting out devils in your name. We forbid him because he does not follow with us. We have not seen him. He doesn't follow us, Luke says. He does not follow with us. How did he learn casting out devils? How did he learn to do this kind of thing? This must not be you because if anybody has to be doing this, then he has to follow with us or in their own small interpretation of things, it's the only way God is able to impart such grace. Why do I love that portion of scripture? Because it always awakens me to the fact that God is not limited to the way you learn about him. You perhaps went to a Bible school, thank God. And maybe that's how you got to know about God, and that's good. You perhaps sat under a good teacher, and you learned God. Thank God. You perhaps had visitations, dreams, and experiences, and you learned God. Praise God. But what's not fair is for me to judge a man who eateth because I have not eaten of what he has eaten. Or for a man who has not eaten to judge a man who eateth because the man has eaten. You see, the Bible is very clear on that. Let he which eateth not judge he that eateth not. And let he that eateth not, not judge he that eateth. For all eat as unto the Lord, and those which eat not, eat as unto the Lord. What's most important here in the judgments of the Spirit is, am I not eating as unto the Lord? Is it inspired by the Spirit? If I am eating, am I eating as unto the Lord? Is it inspired of the Spirit? Because it doesn't matter whether I eat or I eat not, if it is not attuned to the will and purposes of God, in its own sense, it's done with its own doing. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so, again, these things are for the mature. I know that it's not going to be easy for somebody who has gotten born again two weeks ago to get it. But it is expedient. It's important that we share these things so we understand. You see? So we understand. Now, back to what I'm trying to emphasize. That God is not limited in how he will reveal himself to a man. And you cannot subject him to one realm of revelation and then develop that as a space of interpretation. You see? For example, when you read that there was a burning bush and it was burning and it was not being consumed and the Lord appeared unto Moses in the burning bush and said, oh, yo, so if I see a burning bush, if I see a fire, then the Lord hath appeared unto me. And one day, a fire is before Elijah and God is not in that fire. You see? Similar situations, God sends an earthquake and a fire. And the Bible says, but the Lord was not, 1 Kings 19.12, in the fire. The Lord was not in the fire. So what if the disciple of Moses has learned that the day you see a fire, that's where God is. And one day a fire appears and he's like, I think God is in here. If a familiar spirit was to consume that man's destiny, he would consume it in the fire. And not because the fire appeared to the man only as he relates it to how his master Moses had the experience. But because that man is less of the understanding that God is not static in revelation. He is not subject to show himself according to us only he has done before. He can change his way of revealing himself to a man. Even in the way he casts vision, he can change his way in casting vision. We see men looking at sycamore trees, but God is speaking of the destiny of a people. We see men seeing burning pots looking into the north, and God is telling him, Jeremiah, this is more than a pot. I'm actually telling you of the destiny of Israel. It only takes a grace of interpretation to know that even pots speak. You see that? Days speak, the Bible says. Years speak. Seasons speak. All of them are voiced a certain way. Say the eye may be many voices, but there's none without signification. He says, but if I know not the meaning of the voice, the most important thing is to continuously interpret and understand the meaning of what God is telling you. For this reason, he tells Paul on his conversion, uh, Nanias appears to him, have I appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness of those things which thou have seen 
and of those things, he says, in which I will appear unto you. Don't ever limit God to appear. Or oh, he's in a certain light and an angel comes to you. And that is why the Bible says no wonder Satan is transformed as an angel of light. The question is how is he able to deceive the saints? It's because they are so limited in understanding and they assume that God can only appear in that way. And so Satan only can camouflage or change or be transformed in that which is predictably expected in the appearances of God. And I have realized that sometimes when God wants to define special assignments on his individuals, he will send an indelible mark to the believer, which is available to him in that time. And many a time in a thing that is not common. And yet in that way of not seeking to be common, he's trying to give a deeper affirmation to the man he has revealed himself to because... This is the only way some men will know Satan cannot appear this way. Oh God, give you the wisdom to understand what I'm saying. God, give you the wisdom to understand what I'm saying. Do you realize that the destiny of your father Abraham was defined by three men which came as normal men? Had God appeared like that before as a man, just normal men? Flesh and blood which ate bread like him? Yet God chose to appear that way because Satan would not appear that way. You see that? He would not appear that way in that time. He would not come with an oracle that way. Why? Because it's not in the seeing of the three men that every man which walked to Abraham, he bowed to. But there was a unique mark on these men. And it's not even written in scripture that it was outward. That oh, there was a light shining on them, no. But there was something about these men that when Abraham saw them, he perceived in his spirit that these are not normal men. That is the one thing. Satan cannot counterfeit everything. He has a limitation. Because you see, he is not allowed to perfection in the realm of perfection. I don't know whether you understand what I'm saying. He's an imperfect being. Why? Because he's in the realm of creation. You see, he was a created one. The other, other way sometimes we see that I feel in my spirit the church has gotten stuck is that when we are applying the word of God, unfortunately, sometimes we look at it also from the perspective of creativity, the creative power and force, and which are also important because if you go back through church history a couple of years before, you don't see that many people understood how much power was available for us to create through the word. You see? But... God is saying that's not where you should end. God is saying that's not the end of your walk. Because some people have the power to create, but they carry no wisdom to indulge and relate with the creations that they have created in God. And if you don't have that wisdom, the very thing you've created could destroy you. The very thing that you have wrought could kill you. You see that? So it's important for you to have a walk in the wisdom of a thing even though you have the power to create that thing. Creation is not preservation. You see, preservation is in the realm of wisdom. Now, back to David. The Lord showed me something so powerful that changed my life so greatly concerning the word. And it's something that I want to show you today. And I pray that by God, more than the words that I've spoken, you will have a certain vision of your life. And that vision is going to change the way you see the word of God forever. Forever. This is how the master begins to speak. He says, do you know it is possible by the word to create a realm, to create a place to create a glory, to create an opportunity, to create a form of access that can leave a mark on your life that no man has ever set in human history. Now, men have done great things. Men have done great things. Men have done great things. 
But he asks, do you know that it is possible for God to set something in your life that no man has ever set? Oh, well, you have read about Moses. That's a wonderful grace. You've read about Solomon. And that's a wonderful grace. You have read about Abraham. You've read about Jacob. You've read about Joseph. You've read about all these wonderful prophets. You've read about Isaiah. You've read about Hezekiah. You've read about Ezekiel. You've read about Paul. You've read about Peter. You've read about every man that has ever walked the service and has done greatly. But God said to me, do you know there is more that has not been done yet? And can be done by the word. You see, somebody said, oh, we will never be like this. Oh, how can a man ever go beyond this? How can a man ever go beyond that? But do you know that God can do way more than you ever saw in the life of Abraham? Yes, it's possible. Your father. Do you know that God can do way more than you ever saw in the life of Paul? Yes, it is possible. Do you know that God can do through you, speak through you, reveal through you something that no man has ever revealed in history and set a mark on you that if it's not yet back, you'd be for reference even more than those who have come before you and have been canonized in history? It is possible. With God, all things are possible. But you see, he said, you can do it by my word. He says, children, your father desires that he will give you the kingdom. Not the car. The kingdom. Not a good house. The kingdom. Not a good ministry. The kingdom. He desires. It's a pleasure for him to give you the realm. The word therefore kingdom is realm. But not a realm. No. He wants to give you the realm. Who has understood what that means? He says, for fear not little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure, he says, to give you the kingdom. To give you the realm. Not to give you a realm. Not that which defines you from men, no. But to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. Something that has never been seen or heard before. Has he not said that what I has not seen, he has not heard, has not entered into the hearts of men. He has prepared for them that love him. And he has revealed it unto us by his spirit. Paul is living in a present continuous experience of a past experience of impartation that has something that man has not seen, ear has not heard, and has not entered into the hearts of men. And with that glory in his spirit, we are reading about him in 2021. You see where that comes from? Because in his spirit, he contained something and I had never seen. In his spirit... He had contained something an ear has never heard. In his spirit, he had contained something that had never entered the heart of a man. But not only was it in the containment of the hope or expectation of a thing, it was already imparted and established in his spirit because there was an experience he had in a past. And he says, and this thing he has revealed. No, he's not progressively revealing. It's not in Gnosis, progressive knowledge. He has already revealed it unto us by his spirit. So he's a man in the present with a past experience of a future eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and has not entered into the heart of a man. Who has understood that? So with that containment of realm, with that experience in God, there was no way when men sit later to canonize the scriptures, probably 360-something A.D., There was no way when men would bring together these works, Paul's works would miss. There was no way. Do you know how many books were ignored in the canonizing of the Bible? Very many. In fact, there are 13 books of reference to the Bible. The books of Enoch, Jasher, and many of those guys. Their books are important. They are good if you read them. They are very interesting. I've read a couple of them. But there's a reason why they were not canonized. And for good or bad, for right or wrong, it doesn't matter. To me, it's none of my business. There's something that opens my eyes to think. How did Paul manage to be canonized for his works to be kept in the canonization of the scriptures that 
thousands of years later, he is the most referenced individual of the New Testament after Jesus Christ. After Jesus Christ. Paul is quoted more than any man. You see? And some people think it's a mistake. It's not a mistake. There is something Paul encountered in the past. And his present ministry of that time was living to the fulfillment of something that he had encountered years ago. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, has not entered into the hearts of men. But God hath revealed it unto us by his spirit. So he carries a revelation. That revelation, I'm talking about that experience. And you know what? That thing begins with David for me. I'm not saying that earlier many people had not gotten it. There are various ways through which different men in history received it. I believe Abraham as well had a glimpse of that. The Bible says for the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentile through faith, went and preached this gospel unto your faith, Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. He had a perspective too of what he saw in the future. Jesus says, your father Abraham saw my days and he was glad. That's a beautiful thing. You see, so they all have their experiences. But for me, no man got this thing like David. I want to show you a very, very strong, very, very strong scripture. If God will help you meditate and connect to this thing, it's going to change your life forever. Psalms 119. Psalms 119. And we are going to read from the 97th verse. Very powerful. He says, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your word. The word there again for law also means your word. He says, how I love your word. He says, it is my meditation all the day. And you ask yourself, why is he meditating through the word all the day? Listen. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me. Now, I want you to underline that. Thou through your commandments have made me wiser than all my enemies enemies for they are with me. I am continuously seeing people that have set themselves against me but you have met me because of the word you have made me wiser than my enemies God does not need to kill your enemy he does not need to make your enemy sick, he does not need to make your enemy poor he just needs to make you wiser than them Oh, did somebody understand what I just said? He just needs to make you wiser than them. Because see, wisdom is profitable to direct and a man without wisdom has no direction. So imagine that which sets itself against you but has no direction. Remember, he says, if the iron be blunt, he says, if you don't wet it, if you don't sharpen it, he says, then you're going to apply much strength. But he says, but wisdom is profitable to direct. It means that if you have wisdom for your direction, wiser than your enemy, it means in all ways he will be blunt. He will exercise much energy for what will take you a single strike to do. He will be slower. God has not made you to be slower than your enemy, to be equal with your enemy. That's why I tell you this. No man has ever fought me in the gospel and has a bigger ministry than I. And I'm not saying that out of pride. It's true. They have to be slower. I'm wiser. You see that? Because I never fight men. I cannot set enemies on my altar because if I do, I've given them wisdom. <laughs> I've given them wisdom greater than me. That is why this altar doesn't fight. My pastors don't fight. We don't know how to fight wars. You see that? There are things you should never fight. Why? Because you make the man you hate wiser. You release and hand over the graces operating on your spirit for justification to him for wisdom. Why do you do that? You see that? So he says, your word, your law became my meditation all the days of my life. And he says, and through your commandments, through your message, through your revelation, you made me wiser than my enemy. I'm wiser than my enemies. No man has ever set themselves against me and they're greater. It has never happened, and it will never happen. You study the next verse. Now, this is the thing. This is the one I was talking about. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand, listen, more than the 
essence because I keep thy precepts. Did somebody get this? Did somebody see the door? He said, by your word, not only have you made me wiser than my enemies, but this is the only thing that can ever raise you above anybody that has ever taught you. This is the only thing that can elevate you above anybody who could ever teach you. And then not only does he speak of his eon, his age, he goes back and he says, because I understand more than the essence, for I keep thy precepts. He said, because of the word, you have set me in balance with all of those who came before me and I have more understanding than them. What a boldness. Now, if God gives you more revelation than Abraham, what happens to you? If God gives you more revelation than Isaiah, what would happen to you? If God gives you more revelation than Ezekiel, what would happen to you? If you start walking in a revelation higher than David himself, which is teaching you today, what would happen to you? If God gave you a wisdom higher than Paul, what would happen to you today? If God gave you a wisdom higher than Peter, higher than James, higher than John, higher than Luke, higher than Matthew, if they were canonized, and he's saying in all of those canonized individuals, I still have a vacuum and an eon in the spirit realm where I can give you a provision to be wiser. Somebody get it. Somebody just get it. Get it. These things you're reading don't leave men's beds. They are on hotel rooms. They are in cars. They are on phones. They are on YouTube. They are on Facebook. The words, these words. They have built empires. They have built kingdoms. They have set up kings and set down others. They have changed economies. They have flipped histories. They have reshaped politics. They have aligned human history like we know it. And God is saying there is still a provision in the word wherewith I can make you wiser than those which are quoted. I can give you wisdom further than those that you use for reference. I got this thing many years ago and I read it again and I looked up and I said Whoo! and I read it again. Now, I'm not even talking about those that hate me. I'm not talking about my enemies. Leave that realm of enemies. They are already less. But God has brought you to a place and said, look, I can make you wiser than any man that can teach you. I can make you greater than any ancient grace you have ever read about and been inspired and stirred for. The power is not in the speech. The power is in the language because the glory of language is the authority that a man has to command the things that are not seen. Some of the things I'm speaking will be understood in hundreds of years by some people if Christ is not yet back. And when I read this thing, I went to God and I said, give me that thing, that one. Give me that thing, this one. Well, we I shall become wiser than my teachers. And now to my sons and daughters, I will not be intimidated if you're greater. Why? Because it's just the way of the Spirit. When Jesus saw the time of the church, he says, greater things shall you do because I go to the Father. If the Christ celebrates that, like John says, I have no greater joy than to see my children, he says, walking in the truth. He says, I carry no greater joy. In fact, the satisfaction of every true father, I'm not talking about an instructor. He says, so you, so you have... 10,000 instructors in the Lord, but few fathers, for through Christ have begotten thee. The glory of every true father is to see their son and daughter greater, not forgetting from whom thou hast learned these things. Because one thing for you to be elevated by the grace operating on the life of a man or a woman, and the day you bring forth, you soon forget. I have seen that. Hagar was a slave to Sarah until she conceived. By Sarah's seed. And the Bible says when she conceived, she started to scorn at her mistress. She started to scorn at her master. She started to scorn at Sarah. She started mocking Sarah. But Hagar, who gave you that seed? 
Who invited you to the excess of mothering a kingly seed? Remember, Abraham was a great nation. Remember, God didn't tell Hagar. No, he told Abraham, I shall make thee a great nation. He did not tell Hagar. Hagar was an Egyptian. She had no relationship. She had no commitment with the God of Abraham. She was just a slave in the house. He comes to a man and tells him, I shall make thee a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great. He says, and you shall be a blessing. So Sarah invites Hagar into that space, which, yes, was Sarah's era. But the point is still, it was Sarah's access that Hagar could conceive. And after conceiving, the Bible says, when she saw that she had conceived, she started to mock and fight and scorn at Sarah. When Sarah sets herself against her because she's angry, Hagar flees. <laughs> you remember that? And when Hagar flees, God comes to Hagar, fleeing and tells her, return and go back to your master. Because you have no destiny without your mistress. Go back to your mistress, Sarai. Now I see how Hagar, you know, is eating humble pie and going back because God is trying to save Hagar of something. A time is going to come when the destiny of her seed has to be spoken over and it must be present. You see that? It must be present. And all you needed to give Ishmael a destiny was the man of greatness to stand before God and say, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, I shall make Ishmael a great nation and a mighty one. He said, I shall make Ishmael a great nation. But with Isaac do I have a covenant. That was enough for Hagar. She didn't need anything. She did not need anything. And I tell you, in many parts of the world, 2021, the Ishmaelite is far greater than many of the Israelites in spirit. The Ishmaelites are doing better, again I repeat, than many of the children of Israel. If you're a reader, you'll understand what I mean. Because God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. But anyway, so there's no intimidation for a true father to see them walking in truth. Because this is just the way of the Spirit and how the principle of God works. Through the word, my seed should see more than I have seen. You see that? They should see more than I have seen. But for God to invite you in the glory of the ancients and tell you that with all these wonderful men who were valiant in battle, who subdued kingdoms, who through faith tore the mouths of lions, he said, and all of their testimony would not be complete without ours. That's what the Bible says. All of their testimonies, these all have obtained a good report, but they received not the promises. He says, God having a better thing, he had a better thing for us, Hebrews 11.10, that they without us should not be made perfect. I perfect Abraham, which yet perfects me as a father. Oh, 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 my goodness. Now I understand why Jesus is the son of David, yet he becomes Lord to David. See that? The son of David becomes Lord to David. For my Lord said to my Lord. You see that? My Lord said unto my Lord, sit at thy right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So, David beholds the lordship of a Christ. But in the humility of that Christ, the Christ comes as a son of David. He's trying to show us a pattern here. That that which is son can become lord. <laughs> Did you understand it? But he cannot become lord without becoming a son. Lordship is birthed through sonship. If you have understood it, child, amen. amen. Now, he says, I have more understanding than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Now, that reality did not end on David. If any man claimed it after David, David would become a past of reference of that man being greater. That is why in the New Testament, we read things like, the queen of the south shall come and judge this generation, he says. For she traveled many 
a journey to come and listen to the wisdom that was on Solomon. But he says, but one with greater wisdom is come. A greater wisdom than Solomon. Who is that? Jesus Christ in whom I hid all traces of wisdom and knowledge. The difference with the New Testament. Everything concerning wisdom and knowledge. says, in him I hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Him. If it please the Father that in him should dwell all the fullness of God bodily. That fullness is in Jesus Christ. And what did he do for the church? The New Testament. He said, no, I'm tired of these doses of adding you better than those which came before you. Let me come myself and dwell inside you. That is the last love. That is the greatest of all things. When David looks at my days, I see him saying, I honor what's on you. Yet I honor him as a father. But when he sees what's upon me, he honors what's upon me. Why? Because Jesus is now in the inside of me. When I read and met that thing many years ago, this is the exact thing that I heard. And God appeared to me and said, those are things I don't like talking about. <laughs> he says, I'm going to give you something on your life. And out of you, I'm going to speak things that have never been spoken before. You don't need to agree with what I said. But this is my testimony. That I have seen and read things in the spirit that I have never read anywhere or ever heard anywhere. Because he told me, I'll give you things that no man has ever said. And I believe it. Because the word of God allows me. And from then on, the spirit of revelation sat on my life. And every time I enter the word, I start to leave. That is why in the very chapter, if you go down to 130, now this is a man which has experienced that life. Again, Psalms 119 into 130 says, The entrance of your word giveth light, and it giveth understanding to the simple. And when he sees that in 131, he says, I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. He was panting. He was desperate for those commandments. When you go down into that 162nd verse of Psalms 119, he says, I rejoiced at thy word as one which findeth spoil. He knew the power and value of the word. Because this was the only thing that could set him ahead of the Asians. This was the only thing that could set him against his teachers. So every time he was in the word, he rejoiced in the word of God like one which had found great spoil. If you read that from the Amplified Version, he says, I rejoice that your words as one who finds, present continuous, great spoil. Great spoil. If you, for example, you wake up one day and you enter a mountain full of gold, okay, the feeling you'd feel, this is what this guy feels every time he's before the word. So I don't read the word as routine. I read it as an experience. Because in his light, I see light and when I see that light, my mouth is open and I'm panting for more and more and more and more. And when your mouth is open spiritually, he says, I fill it with good things. He says, open your mouth and I fill it with good things. God only fills open mouths, not closed ones. I'm talking about the level of your appetite for the word. How much hungry are you for the next level in the word, for the next grace in the word? For the next vision in the word. I received something that day. I don't know what happens when I start to read the Bible. I start to hear. When I start to read the word, I start to see. And I see things. And I see things. I have notes I have written three or four years ago and I've never preached them. I have too much. Too much. That even if I was to preach every day. I would have something new in your spirit every day. And if you know me longer, you cannot sit under my ministry and you don't learn something new. It's not possible. Because these are rivers of living water. They're rivers of living water. They're flowing as the access comes. Remember, we're at the well. You see, at the rivers. It's the mystery. Have you ever thought to yourself why Rebecca was found at the well? Not a dry place. The helper. In New Testament, she becomes the Holy Spirit. Because the wife is a helpmate. 
And in the New Testament, it becomes the helper, suitable. What is this primary ministry? To teach you all things and remind you that which you have forgotten. Have you ever asked yourself why Moses met Zipporah at the well? You start to see the patriarchs meeting people, meeting our matriarchs on wells. You see that? It's not by mistake. It's not by mistake. Why did Jacob meet Rachel at the well? What I'm trying to say here is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to teach you all things and remind you that which you have forgotten. And God can make you wiser. Now, if he makes you wiser, do you know what that will do to your ministry, to your testimony, to your life, to your story? Yeah, I'm a work in progress, but I'm going somewhere. And I want to speak upon your life that you're going to write history. God is going to put something on your life that is greater than any man you have ever seen or heard. Because there is a provision in every eon that is greater than the eon before, the age before, the period before. Just open your mouth and speak to God right now. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need every hour I need my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need. Lord, I need Thee. Oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. My world defends my righteousness. Oh, God. How I need How did Paul know that he speaks in more tongues than they all? Was it pride? Was it a wishful thinking? Oh, there was an affirmation of spirit that weighed every man's tongue in that time. If that God tells you that I've given you a mouth that I've never given any man, believe it. If he says, I've given you wisdom in finances than any man has ever done it, take it. If he says, I've given you a grace in worship than any man has ever worshipped, just take it. Because that realm in God exists where you can do more in your world. God is not subject to what you have heard already and what any man has preached. Ask for your place. Ask for your portion. Ask for your part right now. Ask for it. Ask for it. Ask for it. Oh Lord, how I need thee. Pray. Lord, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Make a prayer that is going to change your life for good. Ribo setere mandoro bo zeboko shikere bazele bo rade seterele Broza makashata la dererele bo zie baeke aba Brozile mandoro bo setere bo sheke brozele 
Robo sita mandere bo sharaba Rikaba setere mandere bo sere bo setere Brozire ba katara mandoro bo zile ba shete Mako brozire ba sanderere bo seke shereleu Hosi ba yara mandoro bo Brozile bo koshi katama se batala la la lelebo Come on pray Mashaba katapa katara da 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 lelebo Rabazebo koshara la lelebosa Shabaka prando robosa katara baba baba rebota Sharababa bakotara manda rabazobo shakataraba Rekeshita makoshara lelelelelebosa mamama Robozi keshita la baba baba rababa sondereleba Hasabako sharabake telebo As for that thing matabaka branderebo sharalalirebo Rabazabako shatamaka rabababa Sharabako terebo saramanderebo sharalalirebo Rabakatana nederebo sharalalalirebo Jerebo cobra katana mandorobo zabakashata Sabakarababa cobrandarararararereba Jaralalalirebo ramandorobo sarabababa May you be spoken about among the greatest that ever lived. Mashababare, Robokotara, Derelelebosharalelelebosha. May you be among, may you be among. Mashabakatara, Derelelebo, Ribozibashata. This is not exclusive to one man. It's not exclusive to two men. It's not exclusive to three men of God or four men of God. You can be the best of your time. Rikabaselebo, among the greatest of that time. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you, yeah. Oh, I need you every hour. I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how oh, I Rakatara, that's how the anointing comes that's how power comes that's how glory comes there is no other way the power of God is moving the power of God is moving oh I see the power of God moving oh I see the power of God baptize a man afresh I see the power of God separate a man afresh realign and redefine and redirect you the power of God is in your home the power of God is in your car the power of God is in that room wherever you are Lord I need you Lord I need you Makaprakando Sabaka Shatabaka Ramando Zibakata Prakatala Pakate Sharabasebaka You will be the greatest in your time. You will be among the greatest of your time. 
books will be written about you documentaries will be made about you news will be written about you stories will be said about you now to him who is able to do abundantly above what eye has not seen is in you what ear has not heard is in you what has not entered the hearts of men it is in you receive it in Jesus name now I want you to give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise come on clap for Jesus clap for Jesus clap like it is done if you're sick in your body receive your healing right now as we are clapping our hands if you are sick of any disease, viruses, bacteria are living right now in the name of Jesus. The crippled are walking. If you have not walked before and you're in that bed, get up and start to walk in the name of Jesus. Deaf ears are opening, blind eyes are opening, cancers are living in the name of Jesus. Diabetes and hypertension are living in the mighty name of Jesus. Your destiny is aligned. God is going to do great things in your life. From today, mark this calendar in the mighty name of Jesus. God is going to do something from the beginning of your life today that is going to shape human history as we know it in the mighty name of Jesus. Clap your hands to Jesus. My righteousness, oh God, I want you. If you have never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an open opportunity. The Bible says there's no name in heaven, earth, and under the earth where we men are saved. No man is given among men except the name of Jesus Christ. And he wants to build a relationship with you because he is life. He is the way, the truth, and life. And so I want you to speak these words and say, Lord Jesus, I thank you you died for my sins and was raised to my glory and tonight I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior the message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International for more information contact us on telephone number 041 466 4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.